Hannah Staver, and this is Ohio Politics Explained, a podcast where you give us 15 minutes and we give you all the news you need to sound smart and impress your friends when you go out this weekend. Hey, everyone. Welcome back to another episode of Ohio Politics Explained, the hurry up and wait edition. This week, we're explaining how the director of a local Muslim American group was fired for leaking information to an anti-Muslim group, where Ohio stands on eliminating the need for a concealed carry permit, how critical race theory found its way into the U.S. Senate race, and why an announcement in the race for Ohio Attorney General is a big deal. This week, I'm joined by Titus Wu, one of our legislative reporters. Welcome back to the show, Titus. Appreciate it. Always good to be on on this podcast. So the head of CARE Ohio is out of a job and facing serious allegations of misconduct. This is a Muslim advocacy organization. It is the Ohio chapter of the national group. And they say that Roman Iqbal, their director, secretly recorded their meetings and shared information with a group called the Investigative Project on Terrorism. Now they call this an anti-Muslim hate group and they say these recordings have been going on for years. It's it's just a crazy story when I I read it and um, yeah, I, I just wish, you know, we're, um, we could have gotten some comment, you know, I wish they would have been willing to speak on why he did this, because I'm assuming he's also Muslim himself. Yeah, and that was the thing. It, we haven't really heard Iqbal's side of the story yet and why he would do this. But even if you felt like, you know, care was not headed in the direction or in a way that you were not comfortable, it's sort of my question, like, you know, why cheat on your spouse when you can just get divorced? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> So, you know, the nonprofit, they're calling it a complete act of betrayal. You know, Whitney Siddiqui, um, who's, who works there, said, you know, she's having difficulty describing her own feelings. And, you know, I, I mean, I would, too, in that circumstance. It is almost like you, you, you come home to discover that your spouse has been cheating on you for years. Yeah. And, and what's crazy when I was you know, reading the dispatch story, which all of you should read as well. Absolutely. Um, you know, there was apparently some potential of, of, of these instances happening, you know, around the nation and, you know, kind of Israel being involved in it. And I was just like, wow. The is- more we learn about the story, the weirder it gets. I guess he, he sent a um, part of an AR-15 or like a, a, a handheld grip for this AR-15. I'm not sure specifically what to call it in the moment to the care um, organization. It looks like it was bought with the care credit card and it ended up being shipped to their headquarters and this really spooked the employees. They they started preparing for a potential like retaliation, they said. I mean, the more I read about this story, the more I think this is just weird. Yep, yep. So our second topic is about the Second Amendment and specifically whether you should have to take a class before you carry a concealed weapon. Ohio Republicans think weapons training should be optional, and Democrats disagree. But since the Republicans are in charge, it looks like we're going to eliminate the need for a concealed carry permit. The Senate just passed a bill this week. The House passed a similar bill a couple weeks ago. They're going to fight it out over which bill goes to the governor. But it would eliminate the need for a permit to carry a concealed weapon so long as you're over 21. And it would also eliminate your duty to inform an officer that you're armed. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's important to know, I feel, that, you know, Obviously, Democrats are opposed against this, but so is, you know, kind of the Fraternal Order Police, you know, representing police Yeah, officers. there's different law enforcement agencies. They specifically are worried about this duty to inform. So, like, when an officer rolls up to a car for a traffic stop, if you have a concealed carry permit and you're carrying the gun, the law says right now you need to tell the officer, hey, I have a gun, you know, underneath my sweatshirt. And the idea is that if this became law, you wouldn't have to say anything unless the officer asked you if you were armed. 
And their fear is that this could add tension to a situation. So like if someone identifies that they're a gun owner, the officer can ask you, hey, can you put it in the glove compartment or can you put it in the back seat or can you do this? And then we'll just have our interaction. But if an officer sees the gun during the course of this traffic stop, it might escalate things potentially unnecessarily is kind of what they're saying. Like, I think your blood pressure sort of instantly goes up when you spy the weapon and you didn't know it was there, if that makes sense. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But we'll see. I mean, my other question is whether Governor DeWine will sign it. You know, he's mm. he wanted, after the Dayton shooting, he promised gun control reform. That never happened. Then he said he wasn't going to sign bills until he got modest gun control. That didn't happen. And so the question for me is, would he sign a concealed carry bill? I, I don't know. He, he signed the um, stand your ground bill, the removal of the duty to retreat. Mm, interesting. I mean, this is an election year, too, I think. Or yes. co- almost going to be an election yeah, year. Yeah, so we're that basically might, in 2022. That, that could be also weighing on on his mind. Yeah, we're going to have to wait and see what he does with this one. I mean, the one he has held the line on some of the vaccine bills, you know, and the mask mandates and some of the things the legislature has done. He has actually gone through with his vetoes on those. Hmm. But I don't know. We will see. Um, so education took center stage in the Virginia's governor's race this fall, and it's looking like the debate over how we teach about issues like diversity and inclusion and racism could be part of the 2022 Senate race here in Ohio. And so we're talking about what's called critical race theory. And for those who don't know, it used to be thought of as a legal theory you learned in college. And it basically asks people to consider the ways in which our laws and institutions favor white people over people of color. So things like redlining by banks or like workplace rules that prohibit hairstyles typically worn by black Americans, like that kind of stuff. But in, I'd say like the last year or so, it's taken on a connotation when it comes to K through 12 education and specifically whether kids in school are being taught like or specifically white kids in school are being taught that they're bad because of the color of their skin yeah and i don't think it's you know i mean that bad of a strategy that you know timkin is pursuing this i mean it worked pretty well in the in the virginia governance race um, yeah especially when you know um when you look at suburban um like one of the arguments over the last couple of years is that Republicans have been slowly losing ground in the American suburbs and education is a really big issue for suburban families, which often have K through 12 kids. Like it's absolutely a strategy. And I do do think, you know, the Democrats haven't, you know, had too much of a strategy when it comes to, you know, tackling the idea of, you know, parental choice. And, Mm -hmm. you know, that's, that's become a big issue in the last couple of years, not just with, you know, critical race theory and what's being taught in schools, but also with, you know, the mask mandates and vaccine mandates, all that has, you know, really surfaced up. And school choice, as there's been more of a push towards vouchers and that kind of education. I mean, the argument that I hear all the time is, you know, between, like, we choose our TV, we choose our news, like, the internet has opened up a world of choice to us, and so parents sort of logically think they should have a lot more choice when it comes to education. It's sort of like, nationally, we've moved towards it between, like, Netflix and Amazon, like, Mm -hmm. you can get exactly what you want when you want. Actually, my we were watching Jeopardy with my girls the other day, and she wanted she asked if we could pause it so she could go to the bathroom. And I'm like, oh, honey, you don't know what live TV is, do you? <laughs> She's so used wow, to just a... like turning on Netflix and like choosing whatever she wants and pausing it on her schedule. That makes me feel old. Oh, trust me, it makes me feel <laughs> so old. But yeah, if elected, um, Jane Timken, who's running a bit on this issue, and our colleague Haley B. Miller has an article about the rate, the U.S. Senate race and critical race theory, she says that 
she would cut back on the Department of Education and ensure that federal officials aren't advocating for initiatives like the 1619 Project. This is the uh, Pulitzer Prize winning project by the New York Times that talked about the first arrival of slaves into the U.S. and about the uh, contributions of slaves and black Americans throughout our U.S. history. But Timken says she thinks Democrats have federalized education and Republicans want to give back local control to counter that influence. And that sort of feeds into exactly what you were talking about. Yeah, yeah. But we'll we'll see if it works uh, for her, both in the primary, which she has to get through first. And then the general. And speaking of the primary election, we're about five weeks away from the filing deadline in Ohio, and we haven't seen a lot of announcements from Democrats. So if you want to run for public office, you have to file official paperwork. And in Ohio, the deadline to do so is February 2nd. And so this week, uh, Representative Jeff Crossman announced he's running for attorney general. He's a Democrat from Northeast Ohio. And he's been a vocal critic of Larry Householder and the scandal around the nuclear bailout legislation that brought down the former speaker. But I don't know that he's a statewide name yet. And, you know, his opponent, um, Attorney General Dave Yost, has $1.7 million on hand. Crossman has about $30,000 on hand. And, <laughs> you know, it's, it's going to be difficult. I mean... I'm not saying it's impossible or anything like that, but we also have to look at the larger landscape. No Democrats have declared for treasurer or for auditor, and we have one local uh, Democrat from Cincinnati who's indicated she's interested in Secretary of State. And, you know, at five weeks out, it's a little unusual not to see more candidates for these major statewide offices. Yeah, yeah. It just kind of speaks a bit about the future of the kind of Ohio Democratic Party. and um, Right. Shared Brown is the only statewide Democrat elected to office in, like, the last decade. Yeah, yeah. Um, and it also speaks, you know, I mean, like, I think you, 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 as we were talking earlier, you know, whether, you know, these candidates, you know, when, if, do they really want to put all these resources and energy into running campaign, which, you know, likely, you know, they could lose in, in, in a state that has become more red since, you know, Trump was elected. Yeah, you know, one of the things we've actually seen from state lawmakers, state Democratic lawmakers, is that some of them are leaving for other positions. Erica Crawley in Columbus went to go be a Franklin County Commissioner, and Stephanie House. House went to Cleveland. Yeah. yeah. I think, um, was it Teresa Fedora, who, you know, who's, I think she is looking to run for county commissioner yeah up in like the toledo area and then uh, david leland is looking to become a judge a lot of long-term you know democrats are sort of looking around at the legislature even and saying you know i think local government is a better choice right now it's where democrats have more power that's for sure yeah yeah so i mean we'll have to see what happens i mean you know if we get to mid-january and we still don't have any candidates for auditor and we you know or if they don't actually run a candidate in one of these statewide offices I think that's going to be a real nail in the coffin on the idea that we're still a swing state. Yeah, but there's still time. Oh, no. Yeah. And you never know. And, you know, in some of these races, you know, you know, Jeff Crossman's been a real critic of House Bill 6 and the corruption around that. Like, you know, he could maybe spin that into a good case for attorney general. Could be. Could be. Um, Although I think Democrats messaging on. Corruption, HB six. I mean, I know uh, you know Democratic candidates for governor like you know, Ann Whaley and John Quilly also hitting as well on that you know kind of corruption argument. Um, I, I I'm very curious to see how it'll play out. I, I definitely know it'll probably have some reson you know resonance with political circles. But I'm gonna be honest with you, you know, for the agile Island, they probably don't even know what HB six is. Um, and I've yeah. talked with a lot of people, and they're like, what what HB six? 
So. Yeah, they got to do a lot of messaging. You got to come up with a, a, it's a very, slogan. Unfortunately, it's very complicated to make appealing. Saying, "Oh my God, look, you know, nuclear subsidies to, to you know these nuclear power plants up up somewhere in Ohio, and that's yeah. that's scandalous." And I'm like, "What?" Like, no, yeah. it requires a little bit of explanation. Yeah. I agree, especially if you're going to put it in a 30 second ad. <laughs> So one more thing before you go. I want to leave you with a friendly reminder that text messages can be read aloud during a deposition. It's a lesson that Quinice Barnes, a former employee with the Ohio Department of Jobs and Family Services, learned the hard way this week after she cut off her relative's unemployment benefits following a fight. So apparently, uh, Ms. Barnes texted her relative after she cut off her unemployment benefits with, in case you're wondering, it was me that turned your PUA off, followed by several laughing emojis and one was with heart eyes. Just not a good look. No, she, when she was questioned, you know, by investigators at ODJFS, she said that she didn't do it, that a supervisor had done it, but the text message told a different story. And unfortunately, you know, you can't walk it back. And we've seen this time and time again with people, you know. Um, it is the background on my computer. It actually says, dance like no one is watching, email my, like it may be one day read aloud at a deposition. Yeah. And it is a good life lesson to leave everybody with. <laughs> yeah. If you're, if you're a government official, you know, you should be careful about, you know, what you text and what you email. Because we'll probably get we a would, of it. We can ask for it, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> And on that note, I wish you all a very merry holiday. Our next week's episode will be a recap of the entire year. Uh, so we appreciate you, and we look forward to telling you more about what's happening in Ohio in the new year. And if you want to learn more about any of the topics we covered, check us out online at any of the newspapers in our network, like daily-jeff.com.